0: I'm Megan French Dunbar, co-founder and CEO of Conscious Company Media, and welcome to World Changing Women. Each week, we interview some of the most badass female founders in the world to get their insights on how they've built game-changing companies that actually have a positive impact on the world. Our hope here is to inspire and help people of all backgrounds who feel like starting a business or chasing their dream is out of their reach to reconsider. We'll hear the good, the bad, and sometimes even the ugly of what it takes to start and build something incredible. And we hope that every episode will leave you inspired, hopeful, and with practical tips that will help you along your journey. Welcome to World Changing Women.
1: Through the lens of design, we can change the world. You know, through food, it's taste, through uh, beauty products, it's scent and functionality, through fashion, it's style.
0: Marcy Zeroff has been leading the charge in the health, wellness, and organic apparel industries since the 90s, as in before it was cool. She actually coined and trademarked the term eco-fashion and has built numerous brands over her 25-year career, including the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, Under the Canopy, MetaWare, and Farm to Home. She's also the author of Eco Renaissance. On this episode, Marcy and I sat down to discuss what it takes to start multiple businesses, how she's followed her intuition along the way, and what advice she has for others who are trying to change the narrative in their own industries. Just curious if you can tell us a little bit about your journey to ecopreneurism.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I was given a book uh, called Living in the Light by Shakti Gawain when I was 15 years old. And, you know, I was the kid with the lemonade stand. Like I, I had business cards, I think, when I was 11 for doing calligraphy. And <laughs> you know, it's just, I just, I kind of was wired as an entrepreneur right out of the gate. Um, and when I was given the book, it struck a chord in me that, whoa, there's something more than what we see. And so, of course, naturally, you know, having grown up in Florida, I was drawn to go to college in California. Um, I ended up uh, getting a degree at Haas Business School at UC Berkeley. And throughout the whole time that I was both, um, from the time I was handed the book to the time I graduated, I immersed myself on a, on a personal level in the health and wellness movement. Um, and we're talking kind of back in the day, right. Um, but I found it fascinating. I started trying to get my hands on every environmental book or, or, you know, dietary book that I could, you know, find, um, I became a vegetarian. I started studying yoga. I started studying Buddhism. <laughs> um, Eastern <laughs> philosophy. And here I was, you know, going to UC Berkeley, um, getting a degree in finance and marketing. And when I graduated, um, I met the founder of Aveda, um, who I had been obsessed with the brand Aveda because the same girlfriend that gave me the book was a hairdresser. And um, she turned me on to Aveda when it was like one product. And so what I did know is when I graduated, I wanted to create a business that had. Um, similar kinds of values as Aveda, which really was about, you know, lead people through kind of modern mainstream languaging and, you know, at a visceral level, um, aesthetically pleasing, um, You know, ideas and products and then take them down the rabbit hole and teach them, you know, about the why and the what and the how. And so my first uh, business was um, an educational center, actually, um, that I started in New York City out of my apartment and we had a professional certification program to become a health coach. Um, as well as um, cooking classes, lectures, workshops, community events, a national magazine, and an Aveda spa. And the school today is known as the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. It's considered the world's largest um, holistic nutrition school, has certified over 75,000 people worldwide as health coaches in, I think now, maybe 135 or 40 countries around the world online. So that was step one.
0: Um, and, and just for context, what, what year is this?
1: So I started the school in 1990 and uh, we opened the for very first Aveda concept salon um, that was in New York in the school. And that was in about 93. The founder of Aveda um, became a very close friend of mine. In fact, my mentor for 25 years. And um, so we opened his concept salon in my school together. And then... Um, I discovered very early that this consumer consciousness was an evolving thing that once you plant that seed, it inevitably turns into what else, what's next, what more, because it it is something that, you know, when you teach people about making choices uh, um, that are more in resonance to kind of who they are, they, when they wake up, they, it doesn't just stop there you know, it starts to grow that seed. So um, I discovered that there was an interconnection in agriculture between food and fiber, and that 60% of a cotton plant was going into the food system and the food stream in the way of seed and and oil for snack products and breads. And, um, and I just kind of woke up to, whoa, cotton. That's so interesting. And I got best dressed in high school, big, <laughs> big, big claim to fame background in the fashion industry. <laughs> and, um, and so I was like, wait, why can't everything I've learned in food and beauty be applied to fashion? So I coined and trademarked the term eco fashion in 1995. And, and um, rolled my sleeves up and started to pioneer the organic, sustainable, eco-fashion movement. And um, and back in the mid-90s um, to the late 90s, people thought I was insane. And they would say, why would anyone ever buy into this? These are two completely dichotomous worlds. People who care about fashion are materialistic and about the way they look. And they could care less about the environment and deeper issues in the world. Um, and people who were into, you know, environmental, social responsibility and consciousness were somewhat prejudiced against people in the fashion industry for the same reason. Um, so I said, okay, I want to bridge those worlds. I want to style the world of change and I want to change the world of style. And so that became, that became kind of my next big Frontier, which is what I've been working on now for the last 25 plus years, which is um, revolutionizing the fashion industry, uh, similar to what Horst, you know, the founder of Beta did in the personal care industry.
0: And I'm imagining, I mean, you mentioned it here, but in 1995, it seems to me that you're like before your time. How did you kind of bridge the gap with the naysayers who didn't even like understand what you were doing?
1: Um. Because my, my passion slash vision was always to break the stigmas that people had and to demonstrate that you didn't have to give up anything. Like you didn't have to give up style, quality, fit, color, comfort, hand. You could have that. It's like, yes. And dot, dot, dot. You can also have farmer and worker welfare, um, fair trade, you know, organic and sustainable fibers and materials that were non-toxic, you know, low impact, eco-friendly dyes. Um, and all these principles sort of embedded in the DNA, but it starts with great design, just the same way that in food, it starts with great taste. And the way the food side had evolved was, once people realized, you know, organic and healthy food didn't mean you had to eat granola and brown rice twenty four seven, you could actually eat really good tasting food that, oh by the way, is also, you know, plant based, organic, you know, um, fair trade, and all these other layers to it. And so that's actually been the premise of my book: is through the lens of design, we can change the world. Um, you know, through food, its taste; through, through uh, beauty products, its scent and functionality through fashion it's style. Mm,
0: I love it. Um, So you mentioned, you know, over the last 25 years, you've really been pioneering eco-fashion and you've built multiple brands at this point. Can you talk to us about those brands that you've pioneered?
1: Yeah, so so the first brand I started in 1996 um, is called Under the Canopy. And the uh, inspiration was that we all live under the canopy of the planet's ecosystem together. And in native philosophy, the canopy is the top la- layer of the ozone layer, you know, um, which protects life and future generations. And of course, the canopy of the rainforests is, uh, uh, is the top of the rainforest that also protects life. And 50% of the oxygen we depend on comes from under the canopy of the planet's rainforest. So the brand was started as a lifestyle brand right out of the gate um, as a mail order catalog direct to consumer. Because going back to your last question, you know, in the late nineties, people thought like, what, that doesn't even make sense. Eco fashion, um, you know, kind of paradoxical. And so for me, I had to, um, tell the stories of what was in the products, but I had to do it through visual, you know, like I said before, really appealing to people with great product first and foremost. And so the catalog, um, did really, really well. And, um, Turned into uh, a store in store at Whole Foods Market. That was kind of the next frontier. So I wrote the business plan and launched um, a 2,000 square foot uh, t- uh, under the canopy lifestyle store at Whole Foods' very first mega store that opened in March of 2005. And, um, we sold in our, under the canopy store, we sold everything from sheets and towels and bedding and deck pillows and comforters to, um, women's, uh, ready to wear fashion, lounge wear, baby wear, men's wear t-shirts and hoodies all the way up. So we had a pretty amazing um, launch of the brand at our first wholesale business and also simultaneously launched in Aveda stores worldwide with um, accessories to connect the dots from beauty to fiber. And so cosmetic bags and eye masks and all kinds of stuff like that. Anyway, to be seen by Aveda and Whole Foods out of nowhere by consumers and other retailers, suddenly we went on the map and um, under the canopy sort of morphed into a brand that then ended up selling to uh, Target and Macy's and Bed Bath & Beyond and uh, Spiegel and all kinds of other retailers. So we spearheaded the very first organic and sustainable Fiber and textile initiatives for every one of those retailers and many more. And then that morphed into, for me, I exited under the canopy in 2009. Um, I started doing a lot of consulting, um, a lot of public speaking all over the world on sustainable fashion, Um, started working on the book concept, and then um, came up with the idea that what was really needed was a turnkey solution to help other brands and retailers to. start to use and, and embrace sustainable textiles. And it was a very daunting and complicated undertaking for a lot of companies to get into that space, even if they thought it was a good idea. So I created a company called MetaWare which um, is essentially an Intel Inside type of plug-and-play customizable platform where a brand or a retailer comes to us and says, you know, what stories they want to tell. Is it organic? Is it made in the USA? Is it fair trade? Is it recycled? Is it cradle-to-cradle or any combinations of those? Um, And then what products do they want? Is it, you know, bedding? Is it women's wear? Is it athletic wear? Is it baby stuff? Um, What kind of fabrics, you know, they're interested in? and then what kind of prices and and target retails they're looking at, and then what label they want, if they want their own label or they want to do a co-brand with MetaWare, which is kind of that Intel inside concept. And we basically create the entire manufacturing platform and manage the whole thing for them and try to hit their target prices and deliver them turnkey programs that are either made in the USA or made in India, where we have an entire factory platform and a team on the ground. And so that's been um, a big... Part of my focus over um, the last handful of years is building that, but in in the midst of that, I got brought back into under the canopy as a consultant to um, get them back on track. And um, so for four years, I was kind of doing both of these companies, and have recently uh, exited under the canopy again to fo- focus fully on MetaWare. But um, will be in addition to MetaWare, launching a new home brand which is called Farm to Home, which is going to be selling um, on QVC. It, currently, you can buy Farm to Home robes and baby onesies on thrivemarket.com, um, but it's going to be a whole organic lifestyle show coming soon. So the world of, and then more to come from there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Woo! More I to know. come. Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, so, so when I'm... I just... Most of the women that we have on the show have founded one, maybe two companies, um, but you have been very busy, and I'm so curious for you, how do you know when it's time to start something new and walk away from some uh, one of your projects?
1: You know... Uh, it's a good question, and I can only answer by saying that you have to trust your gut in everything you do as an entrepreneur. Um, you know, one of my mottos was always don't get stuck in the muck because if we're all made of energy and your energy gets stuck and it gets blocked and it can't flow. So for me, once I start to either feel like you know, I'm stifled in some way or another, or I'm not able to execute, um, to the next level, if that becomes a challenge, or if I've gotten where I believe I can take it and then, you know, it's time for me to leverage that experience for the next, you know, something, uh, else, then, you know, I, I just trust inside of myself that, I'm open to that. And of course, you know, I'm like a walking cliche. What doesn't kill you makes you smarter and stronger. And uh, and one door closes, another one opens. And it's true. You know, I think the reason sometimes people keep going, even when they either feel like they've gone as far as they want or they can, um, they are scared to make a change. And I would just say, you know, every change that I've ever made has been a stepping stone to something even more exciting and has given me the depth of knowledge and experience that I have today, 30 years into my career. So
0: you've actually like done the beginning parts of a business multiple times. And one of the questions I always ask is, what are, what are some of the very first things that you start to think about when you have an idea for a business? Um, and for you, as, as I said, you've done this multiple times, but when you, when you, inspiration strikes, what are kind of the first steps that you take to take it from idea to action?
1: So one of my favorite quotes is Jonathan Swift's, uh, vision is the art of seeing things invisible, right? So it, I think it starts with, setting a vision right so and and I would say that you can set a vision and that doesn't mean that it's written in stone. That vision can absolutely evolve and grow in its own way. Um, and one thing that has been paramount in starting a business for me is to be open to be to knowing when to pivot because building a business is absolutely not a straight line up. It is filled with twists and turns and the unexpected is part of the ride. So I always caution young entrepreneurs not to, you know, don't put your seatbelt on and think you're going straight up. It doesn't work that way. It is bumpy. And you have to be willing to ride that roller coaster a bit, and it's gonna do some flips and likely gonna, you know, turn you on your head. Um, but that's part of the ride. So throw your arms up and don't see challenges as roadblocks, see them as opportunities. And if you can have that perspective, um that's kind of fundamentally um part of building a new business and then obviously it's about you know taking steps forward um but knowing that two steps forward is probably going to also land you in a one step back that's just again part of the process and don't be uh, worried about that it's just it's part of stepping back to kind of assess and analyze what you're doing so that you can take another step forward and i think um, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's a clothing or it's, or it's food or it's beauty products. I've been in all three of those industries. Um, you know, it, it's a similar process of starting a business. It goes back to those, you know, those minds, that mindset and those principles. And, um, for me, you know, the five P's of business are, are just kind of the, the foundational pieces, which are, um, focusing on people, um, planet, profit, passion and purpose, because passion is the fuel that will drive you. And where even when those, you know, tough moments happen, you'll be able to have that fuel that will keep you going.
0: So you mentioned challenges within that. I'm curious if you can talk us through one of the larger challenges that you've ever been through as an entrepreneur. And how did you get through it?
1: So just building on kind of your last question, you know, surround yourself with good people, surround yourself with, you know, in setting up your business, make sure you have good advisors, um, make sure you have good legal support, make sure you have good accounting support. um, And, you know, and make sure you have at least, you know, one person to bounce your ideas off of. So you don't run, you know, run down someone you really respect. So you don't, you're not running down some road that doesn't. Necessarily make sense, and you get you just get excited about it. Um, so I would say, um, one of the things as a young entrepreneur that that just is part of the territory is you have to raise capital unless you're planning to fund it yourself. Um, you know, I've learned probably the good, the bad, and the ugly of raising capital throughout my whole career. I've raised uh, probably ten, been a part of raising tens of millions of dollars, and um, you know, I've learned that the process of of, of In wooing investors is a, is a mutual dating process. It's not just about you winning them over. I think you have to look at how are they going to win you over, you know, do your due diligence, learn about their backgrounds, talk to people they've invested into, or learn more about, you know, why they've invested, what they've invested and, and with who. And I think, you know, um, I've heard way too many horror stories. i've I've lived challenging situations myself where the wrong investor can actually be very compromising to um, your vision. And that's the last thing that anyone, especially in today's world, where values are embedded in into the system of of you know social entrepreneurship in a way that you don't want someone to have the ability to, compromise your values. And I think um, that is, you know, often life force of a good good values driven business. And so um I would just say caution entrepreneurs about, you know, when they're raising money to to throw as much against the wall as possible. Um, don't don't dive deep into that first person that says they'll write you a check. Do, you know, have as many options as you can. Mm-hmm. Great advice.
0: Um, so on the kind of converse side, what has been one of the best moments on your journey?
1: Oh my gosh, there's so many. I mean, my favorite quote is work is love made visible, right? It's <laughs> yes. Khalil, fraud, the prophet. And it's because when you love your work, it's like I say, as a, as an entrepreneur, I feel like a little kid in a candy store. I get to do what I love, make a great living and change the world. Like, yes, check me, check, check, check. Um, <laughs> so, you know, for, for me, um, and I'm always learning something new, even though I've been on this journey for 30 years, three decades. Um, so I love that. I, I think that that's one of the most exciting things about being um, being an entrepreneur is being open to lo- learning and growing all the time. Um, your, your job is not one that will, frankly, <laughs> likely stagnate you. Um, and... Um, I, you know, in terms of specific opportunities I've had, I mean, I've gotten to, you know, spend a weekend discussing connecting the consumer to organic agriculture with Prince Charles. I've, you know, I've gotten to be a consultant for uh, the Saudi Arabian Royal Family Princesses um, on health and wellness (laughs) and organic living. Um, I've just done some really crazy things that have just been um, really like, pinch me surreal, you know? Um, and of course I've met some amazing thought leaders and uh, and and been in amazing uh, events and audiences. And I produced a film series called Driving Fashion Forward with Amber Valletta which, you know, putting on a producer hat, that was, that was really fun. Um, and really eye opening. Um, and I love public speaking cause I love to educate and, um, and inspire the next generation. And, and I started this interview by saying, I, you know, I, I pinch me, you know, like right now it's, I've spent my whole life working on, on, you know, revolutionizing this movement and, and ultimately, um, creating a new paradigm or a new normal in, you know, shifting what used to be considered the alternative to the norm and making the norm, the alternative. So I, what really excites me is going to events and that are millennial uh, driven um, where, you know, it's not like why organic it's why not organic, which is my big part of my life work, which I love. So you,
0: I mean, your author, speaker, entrepreneur, producer, all of these things. Um, and obviously a lot of people hear that and kind of throw you up on a pedestal. So I'm curious for you, what are you actually struggling with right now?
1: Um, you know, I think, um, it goes back to like when you're, when your business model, is not moving forward in the way that you want it to. You have to think about another way to do it versus just like throwing your arms up. And I wouldn't say I'm struggling right now, but I would say when I started Metaware, my vision was to um, build, to rebuild U.S. manufacturing and use that as a lever to expand organic cotton agriculture in America. And it's made me really sad to, sh- to see no matter how hard I've worked and tried to, to do that, that you know, even though consumers vote with their dollars, at the end of the day, are they willing to pay much more for US made product? And that's been, you know, unfortunately, both at the retail level and at the consumer level, I think partly because fast fashion has sort of retrained people to think differently and efficiencies and verticality and supply chains where retailers are going direct to farmers has changed the financial model to a point where, it's harder to convince people to buy the kinds of things they would buy maybe 30 years ago in, in clothing or in food. Um, you know, now, you know, it's this sort of somewhat cheaper, faster, more mentality that now is starting to shift, but the systems are so broken in the U S for manufacturing, um, in, in the textile space that, um, it's been a bummer for me that I've had to go and full force, you know, really rev the engines back up on my India supply chains, which I love and I'm excited about. Um, and I have a lot of good stuff going on, but I don't want to give up on, on, you know, rebuilding American manufacturing. It just has to be done in a way that, 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 emulates what's worked in places like India which is verticality and community and you know the the guy that's cutting and sewing and dyeing is cousins with the guy who's knitting whose brother is the one that's spinning who or it's all under one roof it's either they're all in the family or they're or it's done together so I would just say if I can keep moving on that vision and, and while I'm building the company, you know, by, by doing a lot more overseas, I'm still doing some stuff here and, and we'll continue to, to forge that, uh, as best as I can forward.
0: Thank you for sharing that. Um, so as, as we speak, you're currently in a hotel room in the middle of a conference, uh, you're running around like crazy. What practices do you have that actually serve your own personal sustainability and taking care of yourself?
1: Yeah. Um, so um, a couple. One is when I'm home in New York City, um, I start every single day uh, by <clears throat> going down to across the street. There is a... Um, a place that has a juice bar and I read the paper and listen to the news and watch and and drink a a green juice and have a, my coffee. And so I just kind of gather my thoughts and then uh, I go down to their spa and which I'm a member. And so I get a steam and a jacuzzi and every single day I feel like that reboots me. It's like meditative for me. I just kind of get lost and close my eyes and, um, that is really healing for me. And it's like my saving grace living in New York city. And then I can really, then I shower and I hit the ground running on my day. Um, when I'm not at home in New York, um, I, uh, if I'm traveling overseas, I still focus on, on trying to get massages or taking a long walk, um, just to kind of get myself either in nature or in, go inside myself. Um, I don't mind flying because flying to me also helps me sort of reflect and think. And, um, and then really kind of my greatest life joys are my family and my friends. And, um, I have two children, uh, one of which my daughter is my roommate. So I get to keep my finger on the pulse of millennial mindset and, and (laughs) live vicariously through her. Um, no, I, I, Uh, it's fun. Um, and we're really close obviously. And so, um, my, my children and my husband is also in the natural products industry. So best friend, business partner, um, you know, life partner, twin flame soulmate. So lots of, lots of love in my life. Lovely.
0: Um, what you've mentioned many quotes during this interview, but I'm curious if there's a best piece of leadership advice that you have either gotten or that you like to give.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, Albert Einstein, um, his quote that we can't solve today's problems with the same consciousness that created them basically sums it all up, right? That we have to be um thinking about you know as i talk about in my book eco renaissance um you know which is about you know this this rebirth of humanity that's happening and it's being driven across all of these sectors or spokes in the wheel of popular culture by five basic principles which are creativity so we can manifest whatever reality we want we just have to create it right um because we create our own realities and um consciousness right and community and connection and collaboration because the power of um working together you know my favorite number is 11 because 1 plus 1 equals 11 which basically just says we're stronger together than we are apart
0: so i'm curious if if possible and you've also actually mentioned quite a few pieces of advice for entrepreneurs within this interview as well but um the top maybe two to three pieces of advice that you typically have for other business leaders.
1: Well, I think your, you know, your team um, is an extension of you in a way because um, all good leaders, I think, know that they can't do it by themselves, um, and so I think treating your team as your Um, equal colleagues, we're all creating this together. And it's not the me, it's the we. Um, You can be a vehicle for your brand or company in terms of a spokesperson or, you know, um, kind of at the front lines. But Um, But one negative link can bring the whole thing down. And so I'm a big believer that try to build a company culture that focuses on positivity um, because you need that as an entrepreneur. You need to surround yourself with positivity. You have to... um, do your best to try to um, break up any kind of negative or divisive energy in your company, because that can be toxic, and that's a big one for me. And when I when I in, when I um, interview people, I'm almost looking for you know their personality and the way they see things as much as I'm looking at their skill sets. And of course, I love to ask the question: If you could create your own job description what would it look like? What would it say? Because I want people to have passion in what they do. And it's very important because passion is that, you know, it is that that force, that fuel that will drive the company. And I think companies like Whole Foods Markets are a great testament to that. You know, it was driven by shared vision, collective vision um, that was, you know, in, in the spirit of the greater good and people who were drawn to that company and many of it, especially in the earlier years we're all very entrepreneurial and trying to work together, um, to connect the dots and, and bring that shared vision to life. Love it. Um,
0: all right. I am curious for you. Uh, could you talk to us about a life changing moment that you've had on your journey or a moment for which when you reflect on it now, you realize it was a pivotal moment on your journey?
1: I mean, the first one that came to mind, and it might just be because I just said Whole Foods, um, but, uh, you know, to have started my career in food and um, segued into, into you know, connecting food and beauty with Aveda, um, and then, um, you know, really just being in the trenches of, of of eco fashion and helping to write standards like the Goth standard and the fair trade textile standard and the cradle cradle standard. And, and then seeing it sort of all come together when I got the opportunity to launch in whole foods, um, March 3rd, 2005, I guess it must've been a powerful moment that I remembered the exact day. <laughs> um, but it, it changed the game for me because it connected all of these lifestyle sectors in a way that made so much sense to me, which was the reason I started Under the Canopy because, you know, for me, it was not an if, it was a when, like, just like with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, our first basic need is food. And then we we evolve and grow and sort of into shelter and clothing. And that's our next basic set of needs. And so um, it just made sense to me. And, and I think that... Once we had that launch, which everybody was kind of at the edge of their seats, like, is this going to work? Like, is textile our textiles is going to work at Whole Foods? And the pr- the you know, um, co-CEO or president at the time, Walter Robb, you know, he said, hey, Marcy, if this works, if Under the Canopy works at Whole Foods, this will go into all our future mega stores, you know, which they had slated to open, to go from these, you know, 30 or 40 or 50,000 square foot stores to the 80 to 100,000 square foot stores that people know Whole Foods of as, you know, as of today. So when it launched, it was so successful. You know, I think unbeknownst to any of us, um, I started getting called by all the regionals all over the country and they wanted to retrofit all the existing stores um, and uh, add under the canopy. Some it was home, some it was apparel, some it was both, depends on how much um, square footage they could, they could um, carve out for us. But we were within six months of our launch at the first mega store in Austin, we were in every Whole Foods in the country. And then, of course, rolled out into um, all their stores as they opened um, nationwide and then in London and, and Canada as well. And that put us on the map. And that's where we got to be seen by the Targets and the Bed Bath & Beyonds and the Macy's of the world because they everyone saw Whole Foods as like the ultimate innovator. And people were like, what? Textiles in a Whole Foods store? <laughs> And so, you know, I think that became sort of um, the catalyst for the next chapter of my of my career in going from this crazy girl to oh my god, she actually, actually, this actually makes sense. And that was still 2005. So of course, you know, look at where the journey of a thousand miles, right? You know, 15 years later, you know, since that launch, and it's like another whole world of where we are today. The internet also changed the game beyond words. Mm-hmm. I mean
0: yeah I can I can still. we we got into every Whole Foods in the country on January 1st 2015 and I can still remember that date and what that can do for you
1: (laughs) well it was you know we, we got to go for a pretty exciting ride and and it was great exposure but it also you know I'm still close friends with a lot of the people that were part of that initiative you know um 15 years ago and and so it's um you know, today with the internet where you can actually tell stories with conscious products, you know, it's a new world. And I have a, a consulting agency with my husband called Beyond Brands. And we um, we have six different verticals in, in Beyond Brands. Uh, we have food, beverage, uh, supplements, uh, lifestyle, um, which is also beauty, and then um, cannabis and and plant-based products. Um, medicine, um, cannabis therapeutics. And so um, it is just so exciting to see now how all these dots are connected. And Whole Foods really was the first in this country, I think, to um, connect the conscious lifestyle dots together at retail. And of course today, um, you know, Costco is the biggest buyer of organic food and, uh, and all the big retailers, um, are, are starting to drink the, you know, proverbial, uh, eco fashion Kool-Aid. Um, and so it's really, it's a new day now. And I think that's because of social media and our ability to, to story tell and connect source to story, farm to table or farm to home. Hmm.
0: Absolutely. Um, So speaking of conscious consumers, I mean, everyone who listens to this show, uh, you know, aspiring entrepreneurs and business leaders, but also they're consumers in their own right. So I'm curious, kind of what is one major thing that you always like to say about conscious consumerism or one piece of advice that you have for folks as they're going out and purchasing things in the world?
1: Well, first of all, I mean, it starts with reading labels. It starts with knowing um, what shouldn't be in products. And, um, you know, there are certain red flags, if you see them, uh, that you should, um, you know, not just be aware of, but beware of. And, um, and, you know the brands and the companies you're supporting because there's also, unfortunately, um, because you know consciousness is the new black, right? You've got a lot of people that are jumping on that bandwagon in the consumer products world who don't know what they're doing. Maybe it's not even intentional, um, but they're mislabeling, mis mis speaking about what their products are, or what's in them, or or how they might be good or or not good. And so I think know the brands you're getting behind, know the ingredients to avoid um you know the environmental working group is a great resource for beauty products um you know the GOT standard uh is to me the platinum standard of a glow of an organic textile so look for the gott seal look for the organic seal Um, when you're buying organic food, it's critical, um, that's governed by the National Organic Program. And so, you know, third-party certification, reading labels and knowing your brands, I would say are as a conscious consumer are very important. And I talk a lot about all of this, plus give a lot of tips and resources and even recommendations and links and in, in my book, Eco Renaissance, which is, you know, Barnes and Noble and, and Amazon and on my website and, um, and Uh, hopefully, you know, it really was meant to be a user-friendly guide. Wonderful.
0: Um, And our final question here, what is giving you hope for the future?
1: Oh, well, I mean, I think that this demand for transparency is, um, which was initially, you know, kind of propelled by the internet. Now, you know, with blockchain technology is, is even going to a whole new level, which, you know, it's not only just Transparency through the storytelling of connecting, you know, where things come from and how they're made and why they're made and who's making them and answering those questions. But those questions are going to be able to be fully verified um, soon. And I think the fact that the younger generations are demanding transparency and that's part of their decision-making and asking those questions and whether it's again in food or in the fashion revolution, which, you know, was, was driven by, you know, who made my clothes, um, because of the Rana Plaza, um, Bangladesh tragedy that happened in 2013. You know, I think that, um, companies can't hide anymore and they, they can't lie anymore because it's, it's just, it's a liability. You know you you get exposed and and you could you could be destroyed. So um, I'm very optimistic that um, that is only going to continue, and that the younger generations um, recognize that it's their future then voting with their dollars means protecting their own futures and there's a big movement for regenerative agriculture now which is about not just about sustaining agriculture but about rebuilding it and that's the way we need to be thinking about the future is you know is all hands on deck from from farmer to consumer to uh to businesses to the government we all have to work together and And, you know, be the change, wear the change, live the change we wish to see, because if we don't, it's not going to look so good. (laughs) We have to do well by doing good now. All right.
0: A huge thanks this week goes out to Marcy Zeroff, as well as our incredible production team at StoryPop Media and the whole Conscious Company Media team. If you like what you're hearing, we'd be so grateful if you tell a friend about the show and be sure to subscribe to get the latest episode. Thanks so much for listening.
1: A StoryPop Media Production.